We're recording today on the lands of the Yagara people and we acknowledge the traditional elders here, past and present. Hello, I'm Andrea. I'm a former registered nurse and midwife and a community advocate. Welcome to Beyond the Rona. Hi, and I'm Tim. I'm a digital marketer and small business owner, and we are on a journey here to find out what our community members think of the big problems, uh, but also the big solutions as we emerge from the pandemic. So we've just finished an election and it has taken us a couple of weeks to actually regroup because uh, we were exhausted. Um, but uh, we're here today with Dave and Tim. Uh, Tim's a bit of a regular, you might've met him before. Um, but uh, we thought we might come and rehash what happened. And um, I don't know if any of you out there have heard, but um, the Greens did quite well. Pretty well. Yeah. And um, so we thought we might go through a few of the, yeah, the things that have happened in our local area. Of course, this whole season, we've been talking about Logan and, um, you know, the politics in Logan and then kind of expanding out to Queensland. And as everybody talks about, politics is complex in Queensland. It's not easy to understand um, all around Australia. And it's actually not easy to understand for us here. Um, one of the big things that nobody has talked about so far has been how we managed to bring down the informal vote rate, which um, we're really proud of. Um, Tim, what was the informal vote rate around Rankin, Logan area before? You have the the data? Yes, just having a look at the data. data. So, yeah, in 2019, uh, the informal vote rate. So just looking at Election Day. So we kind of split the data. So we're just looking at uh, Election Day and that kind of separately to, to the pre-poll, the two-week pre-poll period. But in 2019, the informal vote rate in Rankin was 8.3%. And then this yeah. year, it dropped to 4.8%, which is quite 48 and I think we had in Ford, um, I know you don't have the data with you at the moment, but I think we had in Ford, like, let's say all up, we had between Rankin and Ford, like all around Logan, we had something like 14,000 people in 2019 who did an informal vote rate. And whether that was, um, you know, that people didn't know how to vote or whether they were, you know, not voting properly for one reason or another, um, I think, now it's come down to something like maybe 11,000 people, do you think, that have an informal vote right now? I mean, we've made a massive difference there. There's still obviously work to, to go over time, but I'm pretty proud of that. What do you think, Dave? What do you think has made a big difference this time? I think that this time uh, there was a lot of issues that were really important to people um, you know, especially around these sort of outer suburban areas, but but Logan, no different. Um, you know, those issues of climate change that haven't changed, they've, they've you know, progressed, they've gotten more um, urgent. Um, there, there was also in this election issues around um, the, the corruption of, of politics and um, what that means for, for protest voters, you know. Um, there's, there's now a viable option to vote for against politics as usual that that corruption of politics and i think that yeah that, um, might be something that we see in, in that um, lowering of an informal vote as well yeah yeah 
And how did the um, like the people who were against the establishment and against, um, you know, politics and like the angry voters? How did they vote this time, Tim? What have you got there in your? In terms of the data, yeah. So yeah, what, what we actually did when we were looking at this was grouped um, the right wing minor parties as a as a voting yeah. block uh, because um, in. Interestingly, yeah, in 2019 at, for Rankin, there were uh, there were actually four right-wing minor parties. So that was One Nation and UAP, but then the, the Lib Democrats contested Rankin, as did Fraser Anning's Conservative Party. So in 2019... Oh, I almost forgot about them. Yeah. Yes, they're the, they're the forgotten ones. Um, in 20, yeah. 2019, that right-wing minor party, party group on election day in Rankin was 142 percent um as a as a block this yeah. time it was just pauline hansen and the uap in rankin and that was 14.5 so it was up 0.3 percent but i think the the mm. thing that we were kind of really watching during the election period was how much of an impact is all of uap going to have on the electorate and is it actually going to be quite a considerable increase in in that in that vote um but it looks like it was quite quite a small marginal increase but what was your your take on that Dave? um yeah i think that there's certainly uh the the lmp uh the way that they went about some of their policies they moved to the right to some degree as well um, and i think that that perhaps lowered the vote for some of those smaller right parties and um, because they're, they're just, yeah. they're, they're, those are where the LNP is moving to, to pick up votes that, you know, that they're giving up in the, the more inner city seats, which we saw in, in other states where they've talked about independence and, and the, the success that they had in, in taking seats away from the Liberal Party um, more centrally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, what I noticed, and more so this election more than anything, was there was quite a divide between, you know, the religious parties and the religious fanatics and um, and the science parties, you know, and the ones that based their policies on data and on, um, you know, on scientific, on you know, scientific... Um, you know, being able to back it up, you know, with what the community says, you know. So, I mean, I noticed, like, the Greens did that, obviously, with, um, you know, say in Griffith, like, their campaigning was, like, based on grassroots campaigning and what did the community want and, you know, they based their policies on that. But I know that, um, you know, Labor had a few of their policies doing that as well. So raising minimum wage and, you know, things that the community actually wants, um, you know, their policies are based on, you know, an evidence base. But then you look at these other, there, there was like over the other side, there was policies based on ideology that was maybe maybe not based on anything scientific or any sort of data whatsoever. Um, it was kind of more religious based. And there was, there was such a huge divide. I found this election yeah. more so than any other between people who still really followed, you know, religion 
more than anything and really didn't want to let that traditional religious values go and mm. people who were brought up to follow like science do you know what i mean and science and and um having an evidence base behind their policies and i found that really really interesting that there was yeah there was a massive divide yeah i felt that too and and i think the other interesting thing um that may have impacted the fact that uap didn't have the best showing was timing because i feel like at the height of the freedom 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 billboards and when it was a lot more topical around uh the that that kind of like anti-vax movement and people uh, losing their jobs. I feel like if there was an election held during that time, there may have been a better result for them. But the fact that it went on and a lot of restrictions started being lifted and yeah. they even pivoted their message to the 3% home loan thing. That's right. Uh, like, yeah. I think that that ultimately really, yeah, didn't, didn't help that. Yeah, but then life. they still, they like even that message with the 3%, you know, home loan, you know, they still really thought that the Australian people were stupid enough to believe it. Yeah. Um, which was quite insulting, you know, because I don't think they realised that now, um, you know, the young people who are coming through our education system are a lot smarter than the the boomers who are sitting in parliament and sitting in places of power. Um, they're, they're actually really, really intelligent, our young people, and, they, you know, they're quite smart when it comes to knowing who's in charge of this, um, the, our interest rates and what the RBA does. And, you know, I don't think they really thought that through. Mm. There's a there's a term in politics you've probably heard of, of a policy being described as a thought bubble, and I've never, ever seen a policy that was a better example of a thought bubble than UAP's 3% cap on home loan rates. So, and so yeah. once it was priced and, and they had that out there, the, the cost to government of what that would be, like it was pretty clearly not going to work. You had all the experts and economists <laughs> saying, like, it's literally never going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I just find that, find that one quite yeah. funny. It's a good example of ideology as well um, where there's yeah. no there's no evidence backing that as being a, a good uh, yeah. economical policy but uh, yeah, it was out there and to some people that's, that's yeah. popular right mm. yeah. yeah i was um telling you just before i was reading um an article that was about you know the success in griffith and I have to say it again for this podcast but we got um greens one griffith ryan yeah. and brisbane and we also got a new senator for Queensland. So, um, you know, they've obviously called us Greensland now. Um, but um, so I was reading this article about the success in Griffith and they were saying that when they were knocking on doors, they um, they found that people weren't really interested in talking about um, a federal ICAC. They weren't really interested in talking about, um, uh, you know, like, um, yeah, cleaning out, um, politics and cleaning up politics, sorry. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because out in Logan, um, that is quite a big thing for the people of Logan that even though they are um, poor, like they really have this hatred for politicians and they really want a federal ICAC. Like that is one of the things that people would say to me all the time was how much they can't stand politicians and they can't stand how um they don't trust them mm. um they don't trust any of them and they want a federal icac because they want to see them all go to prison like all of them you mm. know um 
Yeah, and I think that's what increases the the hate vote, like where, um, you know, UAP and FON, um, they're seen as more authentic and they're seen as, you know, the Messiah who's coming to save them all from these wretched politicians who are just corrupt. Um, I found that really interesting that um, they didn't really have to talk about that in Griffith much. You know, it's a it's a huge difference. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting is that um, there's now a, a fight for this last Senate seat between Amanda Stoker and Pauline Hanson, um, who are both quite sort of, um, you know, on that religious side as well. I think that's quite, yeah, quite interesting. I don't know who's going to win out of the two of them. And I don't, I don't know who's the worst. Like, what do you think, Dave? <laughs> uh, it's, it's difficult. I, look, I, I met Amanda on uh, election day and a uh, lovely person that she, she is. Um, it's a certainly not yes. a politician that if I could ever about the support. Weather. Right, exactly, which um, the weather on election day was terrible. But um, yes. I think uh, I, from a political perspective, you know, Pauline Hanson in, uh, it, it has been in Parliament for so long, it's hard to imagine a Parliament without her in there. And as much as we disagree yeah. with her voice, you know, she is, she brings a different voice, whereas um, a third LNP uh, senator for Queensland probably won't add a lot to, to the discussion of uh, matters in Parliament. Um, if, if yeah. it were down to me, I mean, I, I think I'd probably prefer Pauline Hanson over um, <laughs> over Amanda Stoker. But uh, this is a horrible game. Oh, right. Yeah. Exactly. You, <laughs> there's no correct answer. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh, you're going to lose no matter what want, you say uh, to me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's uh, It's like saying, "Does my ass look big in this?" <laughs> and who do you preference after second on your on your House of Reps uh, ticket as well? Because yeah. after that, I don't yeah. really know anything about any of them. So yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Totally. What about you, Tim? Okay, who do you choose? <laughs> this uh, is I, your fantasy. I do. League. I, do, I do a donkey vote. I, I... <laughs> Tim's abstaining from that one. I abstain. <laughs> Well, you know, like like Dave, I, I had the pleasure of meeting a man Stoker who, oh, yeah. who came I to the. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Oh, love, be- beautiful, beautiful chat. Um, Good. We did talk about gum boots and the you know great decision to wear gum boots on election day, which is not what I did. So I ended up with very wet feet, but Amanda was all good. She had gum boots. That's really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I think. Um, uh, the one thing I know, you know, um, uh, this comment has been made before about how actually Pauline not making that last Senate seat. So if she misses out on that, like that does send like a really big message out around the country that Queensland has not only become quite green in the inner city, but also has rejected Pauline Hanson out of the Senate. Oh yeah. And together that, that, that becomes a really big headline, I think from this election. And like yeah. Dave says, if, if Amanda gets in, it's just another LNP number and, you know, is probably, yeah, going to be quite, quite low down the, the news cycle, whereas Pauline missing out is actually going to be pretty massive. In yeah, the that cycle. would be huge. Yeah, because she's been in for 25 years. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would be huge. And then to see her have to go back to her fish and chip shop, 
I don't know if she would actually. Yes. Yeah. Like she's pretty Reinvent wealthy. Reinvent herself, maybe. Get into management consulting. What or... kind of job would she do? Coal, coal lobby. I don't know. There'll be yeah. there'll be a job. I guarantee that she, there'll be there'll be a job. There'll be a job. Yeah. She'll be all right. Let's not be concerned. Oh gosh! Imagine going to the shops in Ipswich and going, "Oh, Pauline, hi. You getting that sweater? Oh, oh I couldn't imagine it." That would be just a nightmare. So now we have Jim Chalmers in in Rankin. He's the federal treasurer. Can you believe it? I was on pre-poll with his parents. They're really nice. They're lovely. But I didn't really, I didn't, it didn't really hit me that that like he was going to be the federal treasurer at the mm. time. Like it didn't kind of. It was just like, oh hi, yeah, you're Jim's mum. Oh, you're Jim's stepdad. Hi, how are you going? You know, I didn't. It's only kind of hit me recently that, God, he's the federal treasurer. That's mm. huge. Wow. I thought it was odd. I, yeah. I had a surreal moment, I guess, uh, in the days after the election and he was doing an address to the National Press Gallery. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there watching on ABC News the, the new federal treasurer, who is also my local member, and, you know, I've just spent yeah. the last six weeks campaigning against this guy. But, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, he, he, he's really actually quite charming. He's a well-spoken man. And, and certainly, he is charming. You know, mm. it's, I call him Prince Charming. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's going to be all new to see him really now in, in the federal spotlight. Um, so I think it's uh, something yeah. that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I've never, I've never been in a in a seat where um, my local candidate held such a senior cabinet position and and was so involved at running things nationally, and I I wonder what impact, if any, does that have to to local issues and um, and him being able to speak uh, for the, his his electorate in Logan here and making sure that issues important to us here are given the attention that they require. In Parliament. Yeah. 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 I don't, I mean, I think it's good that he's, he understands Woodridge. I think that's good. I mean, he's not like, well, I feel that he's not like a normal politician that I feel is down in Canberra, how they, you know, they're like your private boys school, you know, that, they just have no understanding of what it's like to be poor. And mm. like they just, they they just, they're so not in touch with reality. Whereas, you know, I feel like Jim understands, like, you know, he's from Woodridge, like he understands normal life. Yeah. You know? I agree. I like that. And I he's, like that. he is genuinely a popular guy around the area. Um, I, I totally agree. I'm sure he's a listener of this podcast. Uh, Jim, Jim, um, yes, knows, that, knows that we're, that we're big fans. Um, but <laughs> I think it's also like, and I think he'll always continue on as like a very, um, you know, reliable and well-liked local member. I think the interesting thing is the, what they would say the economic headwinds in the future for Australia and how much of the next, you know, like the immediate issue around gas, the price of gas and the electricity prices spiking and then the knock-on effect to wages and all that, how much is that going to be on Jim's shoulders if things don't improve dramatically and whether his, yeah. 
yeah. But the good thing is, is that he'll have people like us in Hmm. his mind. So when they're talking about, oh, cost of living, Hmm. blah, 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 you know, the image that he has in his his mind is people like us. You know, he's not going to have, you know, these like rich people in his mind. He'll have just everyday people that he's seen day after day, you know, that he knows can't afford things. You know what I mean? Like. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good to have a normal person. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the other thing that um, that we were going to chat about was about how powerful people's vote is. And I think that's something that we learnt um, in this election. You were looking at the data um, in Marsden and yes. how, you know, we did quite um, a few activities in Marsden and Roach. Was it Rochdale? Yeah, Rochdale. Um, how we did, you know, road siding and we did like letterboxing and, mm. um, you know, we did a few community activities. I went down to um, Logan Lee Community Centre, um, you know, that kind of thing. And you noticed that the areas that we did like, um, you know, more community um outreach and more um like letterboxing and things like that we actually had an increase in the vote in those booths which you know we're kind of new-ish at this out in the suburbs here but it was exciting to see that we can actually make a difference wasn't it yeah just looking at just looking at the the data here i mean like across rankin um if you're looking at again just at election day and just at um per booth like there are there was only just looking at it now, there was actually only two booths that had a negative swing. All the other booths, and there were about 32, all of the other booths had a positive swing to the greens of which um, the second highest were the two Marsden booths and those around it. So that's Marsden, Burinba East, um, and the other couple were uh, St. Francis and Crestmead. Um, and, and just outside of Marsden is the Marsden State High booth as well. Um, but I think this is an interesting point, um, Dave, because, you know, there was mentioned in the, in the last episode that we were talking on that, um, yeah, Marsden was a, as a key area. What are your thoughts then of the result that we saw in that part of Logan? Um, there's a couple of things. I, I think firstly, I'd like to say, you know, <laughs> the, when we when we break those numbers down into booths, we're, we're talking about you know maybe ten or twenty people extra that that voted for the Greens. So at a booth level, um, you know it's it's pretty small numbers, and and perhaps some of those people are first time Greens voters. And so to those people, we want to let you guys know we we see you, and you know that we, we're we're watching and and we're we're pleased to have you aboard. I think the thing though is when you take it out to out slightly, zoom out a little bit to it. A, a collection of booths in that area, which was an area that we felt that we could do better. We see that is consistent across those booths. And so that, that 10 or 20 people becomes 100 people. Um, it becomes 200 people in an area where we've improved, um, you know, the vote for for the Greens. And I, I think from that, one of those things, and, and kind of going back to the success of the Greens campaigns in Inner Brisbane, where they were really visible, they were out um, being engaged in the community. And what we can learn is that we saw how that worked there. We tried to do as much of that as we could do out here, 
but on a much smaller scale, we don't have the, those type of uh, volunteers and we, we can't be out there knocking on doors um, quite like the, uh, those inner uh, city campaigns were. But we certainly know that when we do engage with those um, communities, even on a smaller scale, we can turn people's vote um, and um, talk to issues that are important for them, um, whether that be climate action, whether that be increasing social welfare, mm. whether that be federal ICAC um, and, and restoring integrity to politics. Those are issues that yeah. resonate with, with people, both in a city and also in Logan. What's your sense as well of the future for, you know, uh, growing that vote? Again, kind of like in that, Central in that Marsden, Logan Lee, kind of Logan Central area. What's the opportunity? Um, I think it's it's that the policies that we have speak to the the people. We we really have policies that put ordinary people first. Um, I think we're gonna. It'll be interesting to see what what Liberal National Party can do in opposition and what direction they take under the the leadership of Peter Dutton, um, but mm. that there's already sort of been flagged that the outer suburbs will be the battlegrounds now for them, that, that they've lost the inner cities and that they'll move to, to outer the suburban and outer suburban areas. And um, yeah. it'll be interesting for us then to see what, that, what does that mean um, for Logan going forward? What does that mean um, in terms of, of those policies of the, of the Liberal Party um, which I don't feel uh, as well. Uh, they're just not as engaged no. for for those middle Australia um, as what they think that they perhaps are. Yeah. No, I don't think so. And I mean, yeah. I had a look at um, you know we had that map that came from Brisbane Times, right? So on that Brisbane Times, um, I was analysing where all the booths were and, and the growth of the Greens. And when we had a look at it, the, um, the Green vote in inner city tended to rise. They only started it from like 2007. And the Green vote in inner city, it rose from 2007 onwards, which was kind of the Kevin Rudd time onwards, right? But the Green vote in the outer suburbs, it rose from 2007 to 2010, 2013, but then it plummeted when Tony Abbott came in in 2013. And that was when they brought in that, um, the, the carbon tax, you know? So I think when that carbon tax came in with Tony Abbott, people thought in the outer suburbs, I, again, I think it's that lack of education. They thought that their electricity bills were going to rise and they said it was going to rise by like $550 um, a year or something like that. So I think it's that lack of education in these outer suburbs where they thought that they were going to end up, this carbon tax was going to make them much, much poorer um, unless they voted in Tony Abbott, who was going to repeal the carbon tax, right? But I think when Tony Abbott came in, he also brought in the GP co-payment. So it cost them, you know, more money to see a GP. And I think this is bad for um, Logan Lee, people in Logan Lee who have higher healthcare costs um, and people in Marsden, people in these sorts of areas, they have much higher rates of disability and, and much higher healthcare costs. Um, also, when they did bring back that, um, that 
carbon tax, it didn't bring down people's electricity costs. In fact, their electricity costs in Brisbane have continued to rise. So what um, Tony Abbott, you know, by repealing the carbon tax, it's done nothing. And instead, through our education system and by bringing in, in 2013, bringing in that um, the national curriculum, everybody's learnt about, um, you know, climate change and they've learnt that we actually did need some sort of you know, carbon tax or emissions trading scheme or some sort of thing to help the to help the environment. Um, the other thing that they they did was make people who needed unemployment benefits they made them wait a heap longer before they could actually access them. So you know, again, this impacts the people in the outer suburbs, and that's something as well that the Liberal Party need to improve on. So they're not thinking about people who are poor, which is what mm -hmm. the people in Logan need help with you know like you're saying we need help with cost of living um and they're not thinking about people who are like well below what they're in touch with like well below mm. um and that's where i think jim has you know he's a little bit more in touch yeah with what we're what we've been going through um just just to throw out an interesting um, point, like when looking at all of Logan and, and kind of cognizant that that includes Ford as well, but we've been quite just talking about Rankin so far, there was an interesting um, difference between the two. I mean, there were a lot more candidates in Ford, but they had an independent there. Who, so yeah. we didn't have an independent running in Rankin. And I just wondered, Dave and Andrea, what your thoughts are on if we see an independent or maybe even like a teal style independent in the future, what do you think that will mean for what we've just been talking about and what will happen to the vote? Uh, I think it depends what their platform is. Um, yeah, I think it depends what their platform is. Um, if they are quite religious, I think, um, but they have sort of green style policies, I think they could grab some of the vote mm. because we do have still quite quite religious people mm. yeah we still yeah. do yeah it's it's funny like they they do believe in climate change and they do believe in science and they want their policies backed up by data now um but they still hold on to their religious beliefs um so i think maybe an independent who combines the two might do well yeah yeah interesting what do you think, Dave? No, I agree with you. It is, um, it's heavily dependent on the platform, but it's it's interesting. I, I don't really know, and I'm sure there are people that do know, but why we didn't see the, the same, that, that teal independent movement to the same extent in Brisbane or Queensland at all. Um, I think it would be interesting to see a candidate running on that sort of platform in, in Ford um, in, and the impact that that has um, on what's a, safe-ish liberal seat um, mm. because I think, you know, the the teals that we saw in Sydney and, and Melbourne really splintered the liberal vote, that the vote that uh, would be liberal but would like to see more action on climate, um, that went to, to the yeah. teals. And um, yeah. you'd like to see those votes, I'd like to see those votes going to, to Greens, um, but I understand that for some liberal voters, that's just a step too far for them to, you know, ideologically that they, they they cannot change their mindset from from voting from to to green uh, from, from liberal. So, um, the, the teal candidates give them that uh, step. Yeah. 
Yeah. I also think there's a lot to be said for political marketing. Um, and I think like the Greens have done a great job in political marketing, like people recognize the triangle. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's the downfall where I found on people, a lot of people, um, didn't recognize that I was, um, saying something logical like, um, you know, free uni on ta and TAFE or, um, dental into Medicare. Mm -hmm. They just recognized the green triangle and said, oh, absolutely not. You started the bushfires, you know, um, it was quite like they recognize the branding, but don't know anything about the greens. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for increasing, uh, or like improving the political marketing. And um, that's yeah. definitely something that, you know, yeah, that it's pretty huge. We saw that with Scott Morrison. We've mm. seen it with Kevin Rudd, like, yeah, marketing is massive. Mm. Yeah. Those old, those old kind of, um, stereotypes of what the greens are and what they were. Yeah. They're, they're hard yeah. to shape, especially in these, these areas where they, they just haven't heard from the greens in a long time and, yeah. and don't know. Well, that is well, just that image stuck from 20 years ago. Yeah. 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 One of the most, and there's a lot of fear. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say exactly one of the, the most important things or um, interesting things moving forward will be what we can deliver from a, uh, from having the increase in greens represented in, um, in Brisbane, in you know, yeah. they won't hold a balance of power. We know that that Labor will have the majority in Parliament, but um, mm. what they can add to the conversation, to the debate that that happens in Parliament, what they can show the Australian public that the Greens can deliver, um, even from a, a really minority position, um, and I think that that can go some of the way to changing those stereotypes and, and really changing some of the perception um, of what a Greens, what it means to have a Greens member, you know. The Greens have never yeah. lost a federal seat. Yeah. They, they don't lose seats once they are elected. Yeah. They, they retain those seats because they're good representatives yes. for their local area. And I yes. think that that then is, you see what, how, how the Green vote spreads um, once they've won a seat. Not only do they not lose it, but the surrounding seats increase their green vote because they say, I want some of that too. So I think. Yeah, like yeah. a bushfire. <laughs> it's catching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what about we talk about our three big things? Yeah. <laughs> for the future. Now, this is called Beyond the Rona. So um, if we kind of think, okay, like we're moving beyond coronavirus now we're kind of rebuilding this community that we want to be bigger and better than ever before okay um so we want to take charge of our community we know that we've um we've come through the coronavirus period now but we we kind of have to live with it um so what do you think our community needs dave to um to go forward from here yeah uh, yeah you talked about beyond the rona i want to talk about beyond reconciliation i want to talk about um and, and Albanese is talking about a voice to parliament. Oh, I want to see progress on treaty. I want to see, you know, the First Nations people recognised constitutionally. I want us to talk truth as a nation, put um, some of the the horrible history out in the public. I want people to acknowledge it so that we can truly reunite this country and move forward as, as a united country 
that includes all of this cultural tradition and, and you know, acknowledging that horrible things have happened since settler time, but we can move forward and and be a better country as one. I think there's a lot to be said for um, the fact that we didn't get taught. Well, I didn't. I don't know about you guys, but we didn't get taught the real history um, yeah. in our school. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Certainly the attitudes yeah. have changed. And, and if you go back to the people that were teaching you and me, and the people that are teaching now, I think it's, it is definitely different. We're, we are making progress, certainly, but there's so much mm. more that we can do. And, and I hope that we see that um, in the next three years. Yeah. 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 I think one of the, one of the basic changes that I think people can make is just, you know, in their everyday life in our community is if they see an older um, Aboriginal person is just to call them auntie or uncle, perhaps, you know, maybe just having some respect for, for elders in their community, you know, something really simple to start off with, just having respect for elders, you know, maybe that's a start to start somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about you, Tim? What's your big thing of what our community can do to rebuild well, my big thing uh, that I'm pretty passionate about is addressing the inequality um, in a lot of areas in our society, but I think starting with the tax system, actually. Uh, and the Greens did campaign on this quite significantly with the, you know, the billionaires tax and then and the multinational super profit um, tax. And there is some crossover here with Labor. So... You know, Labor talks about, and Jim Chalmers, the the our, our rank and MP, talks about these multinational corporations that are making hundreds of millions of dollars here, and effectively paying a tiny tax rate in Australia. Um, and when we think about our um, sole traders and our you know our, our small businesses, our traders, our freelancers, their tax rate is many, many, many times higher than these multinational corporations that are just essentially kind of doing, you know, legalized tax evasion. So I really hope that Labor, you know, Jim and Labor can actually implement this like many European countries have already done and actually bring in much more tax revenue that can be then spent on public services and, and improving our hospitals mm. and schools, you know, dental and Medicare, all of these things. So I think addressing inequality in the tax system is, is like the start of how we can actually like fundamentally start improving people's lives every day. Um, and then, you know, kind of addressing then that, that, um, billionaire, the billionaire tax where there's, you know, hundred or so people that just don't pay any tax in Australia. And I think those two things together would just completely transform, uh, the economy for the better. Yeah, because I think people really want to see some change, you know, they don't want to just kind of have this massive high where we've said things are going to change and then nothing. Yeah. Can you imagine if, if like me, you have a five-figure salary that starts with a two or higher in front of it, you paid more tax than Google or Apple or so many yeah. other companies did? It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think, yeah, yeah, uh, th yeah. Someone, someone essentially, yeah, on a on a you know minimum wage is paying more tax. It's just incredible, like the fact that this that this exists. So, yeah, the, 
I, they've they've flagged it, so I really hope it's not just you know lip service, and that they can actually deliver some kind of reform. Yeah. I mean, the other big thing, and they've Chambers has already talked about how um, they need to look at changing the budget and, and preparing the budget to some degree. The state tree tax cuts, mm. they're, they're legislated, yes. but legislation can be re-legislated and we can yeah. save the country so many billions of dollars that it just yeah. is it's fiscally irresponsible not to do that. I don't see how, um, yes. how those tax cuts can stay on the table. Um, those tax cuts were legislated prior to the, the pandemic impacting um, yeah. so much of our, our lives That's every day. True. And they're, they're, they're just no longer relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's true. And we've got so many more people who are below that um, that tax bracket who are really suffering. Yeah. yeah. I don't. You cannot yeah. justify a nine thousand dollar tax cut for someone making two hundred thousand dollars a year. It's just. It's. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. What's your Mine- thing? Yeah, mine is um, to continue education um, and concentrating on, um, you know, science and technology for people in school. Um, You know, our national curriculum that has started educating everybody. So this is kind of concentrating on the outer suburbs, which is where we want to concentrate on next to continue this green wave. Um, And you know, make sure that we continue the education for all these young people. Yeah. They're our green voters. Like, cause the mm. ones that are in the inner city, they're the, the ones with the, the highest number of young people, right? Voted yeah. in greens. Okay. So I want to continue education for, um, and concentrate on STEM subjects, concentrate on science and technology, make sure that everybody knows about what coal and gas does to our climate, what we have to do to, you know, lower the, um, you know, meet our climate targets, you know, Um, and also make sure that everybody knows what the Murdoch media has done to, um, you know, to force their hands um, on the Liberal Party to not meet our climate agreements. Do you know what I mean? Um, And to make sure that young people continue making the brilliant TikToks they do to spread the the word, like free media. You know what I mean? Like education for young people has done amazing things. Um, So I want that to continue. And I think uh, positive development on that front from from this new government already. We've seen, uh, you know, that newfound preparedness to to listen to experts and to get the scientists and and take that uh, knowledge. And, 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 you know, 43% becomes the the minimum target, not just the target. It's kind of the the baseline minimum to meet. So, yeah, the, and, and how we go about reaching that target will be science-based, not uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited that if we continue yeah. this education, continue free media, you know, um, you know, and we kind of maybe hide all of our elderly um, people's newspapers, um, that we will get somewhere. That's, That's it. Plan. That's it. <laughs> Just, if you see a courier mail on a driveway somewhere, <laughs> chuck it, chuck it in the bin. Hide them. Yes. Hide them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's my plan. 
<laughs> I think that's still I think you know it's an exciting time for this country now with the, with the change of government you see change mm. in, in so many aspects of the, the direction of the country and um really I think there's a lot of positives to to be taken from that after 9 years of the coalition uh, conservative government that we had we're, we're somewhat behind in some areas now um but we're seeing already um, the, the new government being pretty quick to, to take steps to get in the right direction again and catch up. Yeah. 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 Alrighty. Yeah. Great. Well, you've been listening to Beyond the Rona. Captioned audio is available on our YouTube channel or you can visit beyondtherona.com to catch previous episodes or to keep in touch. We may reply. <laughs> we might. Good to talk to you, Tim. <laughs> Good to talk yeah, to you, likewise. Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Thanks Andrea. Okay. <laughs> See ya.